chapter thirteen of the life of washington volume one by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen opinions on the supremacy of parliament and its right to tax the colonies the stamp act congress at new york violence in the towns change of administration stamp act repealed opposition to the mutiny act act imposing duties on tea etc resisted in america letters from the assembly of massachusetts to members of the administration petition to the king circular letter to the colonial assemblies letter from the earl of hillsborough assembly of massachusetts dissolved seizure of the sloop liberty convention at vanuya hall moderation of its proceedings two british regiments arrive at boston resolutions of the house of burgesses of virginia assembly dissolved the members form an association general measures against importation general court convened in massachusetts its proceedings is prorogued duties except that on tea repealed circular letter of the earl of hillsborough new york recedes from the non-importation agreement in part her example followed riot in boston trial and acquittal of captain preston seventeen sixty three the attachment of the colonies to the mother country was never stronger than at the signature of the treaty of paris the union of that tract of country which extends from the atlantic to the mississippi and from the gulf of mexico to the north pole was deemed a certain guarantee of future peace and an effectual security against the return of those bloody scenes from which no condition in life could afford an exemption this state of things long and anxiously wished for by british america had at length been effected by the union of british and american arms the soldiers of the parent state and her colonies had co-operated in the same service their blood had mingled in the same plains and the object pursued was common to both people while the british nation was endeared to the americans by this community of danger and identity of interest the brilliant achievements of the war had exalted to enthusiasm their admiration of british valor they were proud of the land of their ancestors and gloried in their descent from englishmen but this sentiment was not confined to the military character of the nation while the excellence of the english constitution was a rich theme of declamation every colonist believed himself entitled to its advantages nor could he admit that by crossing the atlantic his ancestors had relinquished the essential rights of british subjects the degree of authority which might rightfully be exercised by the mother country over her colonies had never been accurately defined in britain it had always been asserted that parliament possessed the power of binding them in all cases whatever in america at different times and in different provinces different opinions had been entertained on this subject in new england originally settled by republicans habits of independence and nourished the theory that the colonial assemblies possessed every legislative power not surrendered by compact that the americans were subjects of the british crown but not of the nation and were bound by no laws to which their representatives had not assented from this high ground they had been compelled reluctantly to recede the judges being generally appointed by the governors with the advice of counsel had determined that the colonies were bound by acts of parliament which concerned them and which were expressly extended to them and the general court of massachusetts had on a late occasion explicitly recognized the same principle this had probably become the opinion of many of the best informed men of the province but the doctrine seems still to have been extensively maintained that acts of parliament possessed only an external obligation that they might regulate commerce but not the internal affairs of the colonies in the year sixteen ninety two the general court of massachusetts passed an act denying the right of any other legislature to impose any tax whatever on the colony 
and also asserting those principles of national liberty which are found in magna carta not long afterwards the legislature of new york probably with a view only to the authority claimed by the governor passed an act in which its own supremacy not only in matters of taxation but of general legislation is expressly affirmed but these acts however were disapproved in england and the parliament asserted its authority in sixteen ninety six by declaring that all laws by laws usages and customs which shall be in practice in any of the plantations repugnant to any law made to or to be made in this kingdom relative to the said plantations shall be void and of none effect and three years afterwards an act was passed for the trial of pirates in america in which it is to be found the following extraordinary clause be it farther declared that if any of the governors or any person or persons in authority there shall refuse to yield obedience to this act such refusal is hereby declared to be a forfeiture of all and every sick the charters granted for government and propriety of such plantations the english statute book furnishes many instances in which the legislative power of parliament over the colonies was extended to regulations completely internal and it is not recollected that their authority was in any case openly controverted in the middle and southern provinces no question respecting the supremacy of parliament in matters of general legislation ever existed the authority of such acts of internal regulation as were made for america as well as those for the regulation of commerce even by the imposition of duties provided those duties were imposed for the purpose of regulation had been at all times admitted but these colonies however they might acknowledge the supremacy of parliament in other respects denied the right of that body to tax them internally their submission to the act for establishing a general post office which raised a revenue on the carriage of letters was not thought a dereliction of this principle because that regulation was not considered as a tax but as a compensation for a service rendered which every person might accept or decline and all the duties on trade were understood to be imposed rather with a view to prevent foreign commerce than to raise a revenue perhaps the legality of such acts was the less questioned because they were not rigorously executed and their violation was sometimes designedly overlooked our scheme for taxing the colonies by authority of parliament had been formed so early as the year seventeen thirty nine and recommended to government by a club of american merchants at whose head was sir william keith governor of pennsylvania in this scheme it was proposed to raise a body of regulars to be stationed along the western frontier of the british settlements for the protection of the indian traders the expense of which establishment was to be paid with monies arising from a duty on stamped paper and parchment in all the colonies this plan however was not countenanced by those in power and seems never to have been seriously taken up by the government until the year seventeen fifty four the attention of the minister was then turned to a plan of taxation by authority of parliament and it will be recollected that a system was devised and recommended by him as a substitute for the articles of union proposed by the convention at albany the temper and opinion of the colonists and the impolicy of irritating them at a crisis which required all the exertions they were capable of making suspended this delicate and dangerous measure but it seems not to have been totally abandoned of the right of parliament as the supreme legislature of the nation to tax as well as govern the colonies those who guided the councils of britain seem not to have entertained a doubt and the language of men in power on more than one occasion through the war indicated a disposition to put this right in practice when the termination of hostilities should render the experiment less dangerous 
the failure of some of the colonies especially those in which a proprietary government was established to furnish in time the aids required of them contributed to foster this disposition this opposition of opinion on a subject the most interesting to the human heart was about to produce a system of measures which tore asunder all the bonds of relationship and affection that had subsisted for ages and planted almost inextinguishable hatred in bosoms where the warmest friendship had long been cultivated seventeen sixty four the unexampled expenses of the war required a great addition to the regular taxes of the nation considerable difficulty was found in searching out new sources of revenue and great opposition was made to every tax proposed thus embarrassed administration directed its attention to the continent of north america the system which had been laid aside was renewed and on the motion of mr grenville first commissioner of the treasury a resolution passed without much debate declaring that it would be proper to impose certain stamp duties in the colonies and plantations for the purpose of raising a revenue in america payable into the british exchequer this resolution was not carried into immediate effect and was only declaratory of an intention to be executed the ensuing year other resolutions were passed at the same time laying new duties on the trade of the colonies which being in the form of commercial regulations were not generally contested on the ground of right though imposed expressly for the purpose of raising revenue great disgust however was produced by the increase of the duties by the new regulations which were made and by the manner in which those regulations were to be executed the gainful commerce long carried on clandestinely with the french and spanish colonies in the progress of which an evasion of the duties imposed by law had been overlooked by the government was to be rigorously suppressed by taxes amounting to a prohibition of fair trade and their exact collection was to be enforced by measures not much less offensive in themselves than on account of the object to be effected completely to prevent smuggling all the officers in the sea service who were on the american station were converted into revenue officers and directed to take the custom-house oaths many vexatious seizures were made for which no redress could be obtained but in england the penalties and forfeitures too accruing under the act as if the usual tribunals could not be trusted were made recoverable in any court of vice-admiralty in the colonies it will be readily conceived how odious a law made to effect an odious object must have been rendered by such provisions as these seventeen sixty five the resolution concerning the duties on stamps excited a great and general ferment in america the right of parliament to impose taxes on the colonies for the purpose of raising a revenue became the subject of universal conversation and was almost universally denied petitions to the king and memorials to both houses of parliament against the measure were transmitted by several of the provincial assemblies to the board of trade in england to be presented to his majesty immediately and to parliament when that body should be convened the house of representatives of massachusetts instructed their agent to use his utmost endeavors to prevent the passage of the stamp act or any other act levying taxes or impositions of any kind on the american provinces a committee was appointed to act in the recess of the general court with instructions to correspond with the legislatures of the several colonies to communicate to them the instructions given to the agent of massachusetts and to solicit their concurrence in similar measures these legislative proceedings were in many places seconded by associations entered into by individuals for diminishing the use of british manufactures 
the administration perceiving the opposition to be encountered by adhering to the vote of the preceding session informed the agents of the colonies in london that if they would propose any other mode of raising the sum required their proposition would be accepted and the stamp duty laid aside the agents replied that they were not authorized to propose any substitute but were ordered to oppose the bill when it should be brought into the house by petitions questioning the right of parliament to tax the colonies this reply placed the controversy on ground which admitted of no compromise determined to persevere in the system he had adopted and believing successful resistance to be impossible mr grenville brought into parliament his celebrated act for imposing stamp duties in america and it passed both houses by great majorities but not without animated debate so little weight does the human mind allow to the most conclusive arguments when directed against the existence of power in ourselves that general conway is said to have stood alone in denying the right claimed by parliament this act excited serious alarm throughout the colonies it was sincerely believed to wound vitally the constitution of the country and to destroy the most sacred principles of liberty combinations against its execution were formed and the utmost exertions were used to diffuse among the people a knowledge of the pernicious consequences which must flow from admitting that the colonists could be taxed by a legislature in which they were not represented the assembly of virginia was in session when the intelligence was received and by a small majority passed several resolutions introduced by mr henry and seconded by mr johnson one of which asserts the exclusive right of that assembly to lay taxes and impositions on the inhabitants of that colony on the passage of these resolutions the governor dissolved the assembly and writs for new elections were issued in almost every instance the members who had voted in favor of the resolutions were re-elected while those who had voted against them were generally excluded the legislatures of several other colonies passed resolutions similar to those of virginia the house of representatives of massachusetts contemplating a still more solemn and effectual expression of the general sentiment recommended a congress of deputies from all the colonial assemblies to meet at new york the first monday in october circular letters communicating this recommendation were addressed to the respective assemblies wherever they were in session new hampshire alone although concurring in the general opposition declined sending members to the congress and the legislatures of virginia and north carolina were not in session in the meantime the press teemed with the most animating exhortations to the people to unite in defence of their liberty and property and the stamp officers were almost universally compelled to resign congress at new york at the time appointed the commissioners from the assemblies of massachusetts rhode island connecticut new york new jersey pennsylvania the three lower counties on the delaware maryland and south carolina assembled at new york and having chosen timothy ruggles of massachusetts their chairman proceeded on the important objects for which they had convened the first measure of congress was a declaration of the rights and grievances of the colonists this paper asserts their title to all the rights and liberties of natural-born subjects within the kingdom of great britain among the most essential of which are the exclusive power to tax themselves and the trial by jury the act granting certain stamp and other duties in the british colonies was placed first on the list of grievances its direct tendency they said was by taxing the colonists without their consent and by extending the jurisdiction of courts of admiralty to subvert their rights and liberties they also addressed a petition to the king and a memorial to each house of parliament these papers were drawn with temperate firmness they express unequivocally the attachment of the colonists to the mother country and assert the rights they claim in the earnest language of conviction 
having in addition to these measures recommended to the several colonies to appoint special agents with instructions to unite their utmost endeavors in soliciting a redress of grievances and directed their clerk to make out a copy of their proceedings for each colony congress adjourned to interest the people of england against the measures of administration associations were formed for the encouragement of domestic manufactures and against the use of those imported from great britain to increase their quantity of wool the colonists determined to kill no lambs and to use all the means in their power to multiply their flocks of sheep to avoid the use of stamps proceedings in the courts of justice were suspended and a settlement of all controversies by arbitration was strongly recommended violence in the large towns while this determined and systematic opposition was made by the thinking part of the community some riotous and disorderly meetings took place especially in the large towns which threatened serious consequences many houses were destroyed much property injured and several persons highly respectable in character and station were grossly abused while these transactions were passing in america causes entirely unconnected with the affairs of the colonies produced a total revolution in the british cabinet the grenville party was succeeded by an administration unfriendly to the plan for taxing the colonies without their consent general conway one of the principal secretaries of state addressed a circular letter to the several governors in which he censured in mild terms the violent measures that had been adopted and recommended to them while they maintained the dignity of the crown and of parliament to observe a temperate and conciliatory conduct towards the colonies and to endeavor by persuasive means to restore the public peace seventeen sixty six parliament was opened by a speech from the throne in which his majesty declared his firm confidence in their wisdom and zeal which would he doubted not guide them to such sound and prudent resolutions as might tend at once to preserve the constitutional rights of the british legislature over the colonies and to restore to them that harmony and tranquillity which had lately been interrupted by disorders of the most dangerous nature in the course of the debate in the house of commons on the motion of the address mr pitt in explicit terms condemned the act for collecting stamp duties in america and avowed the opinion that parliament had no right to tax the colonies he asserted at the same time the authority of that kingdom to be sovereign and supreme in every circumstance of government and legislation whatever he maintained the difficult proposition that taxation is no part of the governing or legislative power but that taxes are a voluntary gift and grant of the commons alone and concluded an eloquent speech by recommending to the house that the stamp act be repealed absolutely totally and immediately the opinions expressed by mr pitt were warmly opposed by the late ministers mr grenville said that the disturbances in america were grown to tumults and riots he doubted they bordered on open rebellion and if the doctrine he had heard that day should be confirmed he feared they would lose that name to take that of revolution the government over them being dissolved a revolution would take place in america he contended that taxation was a part of the sovereign power one branch of legislation and had been exercised over those who were not represented he could not comprehend the distinction between external and internal taxation and insisted that the colonies ought to bear a part of the burdens occasioned by a war for their defence stamp act repealed the existing administration however concurred in sentiment with mr pitt and the act was repealed but its repeal was accompanied with a declaratory act asserting the right of great britain to bind the colonies in all cases whatsoever the intelligence of this event was received in america with general manifestations of joy the assertion of the abstract principle of right gave many but little concern because they considered it merely as a salve for the wounded pride of the nation and believed confidently that no future attempt would be made to reduce it to practice 
the highest honors were conferred on those parliamentary leaders who had exerted themselves to obtain a repeal of the act and in virginia the house of burgesses voted a statute to his majesty as an acknowledgment of their high sense of his attention to the rights and petitions of his people though all the colonies rejoiced at the repeal of the stamp act the same temper did not prevail in all of them in the commercial cities of the north the regulations of trade were nearly as odious as the stamp act itself political parties too had been formed and had assumed a bitterness in some of the colonies entirely unknown in others these dispositions were not long concealed the first measures of massachusetts and of new york demonstrated that in them the reconciliation with the mother country was not cordial the letter of secretary conway transmitting the repeal of the act imposing a duty on stamps enclosed also a resolution of parliament declaring that those persons who had suffered injuries in consequence of their assisting to execute that act ought to be compensated by the colony in which such injuries were sustained this was chiefly in massachusetts the resolution of parliament was laid before the general court of that province by governor bernard in a speech rather in the spirit of the late than the present administration rather calculated to irritate than assuage the angry passions that had been excited the house of representatives resented his manner of addressing them and appeared more disposed to inquire into the riots and to compel those concerned in them to make indemnities than to compensate the sufferers out of the public purse but after a second session and some intimation that parliament would enforce its requisition an act of pardon to the offenders and of indemnity to the sufferers was passed but was rejected by the king because the colonial assembly had no power by their charter to pass an act of general pardon but at the instance of the crown in new york where general gage was expected with a considerable body of troops a message was transmitted by the governor to the legislature desiring their compliance with an act of parliament called the mutiny act which required that the colony in which any of his majesty's forces might be stationed should provide barracks for them and necessaries in their quarters the legislature postponed the consideration of this message until the troops were actually arrived and then after a second message from the governor reluctantly and partially complied with the requisitions of the act at a subsequent session the governor brought the subject again before the assembly who determined that the act of parliament could be construed only to require that provision should be made for troops on a march and not while permanently stationed in the country the reason assigned for not furnishing the accommodations required by the governor implies the opinion that the act of parliament was rightfully obligatory and yet the requisitions of the mutiny act were unquestionably a tax and no essential distinction is perceived between the power of parliament to levy a tax by its own authority and to levy it through the medium of the colonial legislatures they having no right to refuse obedience to the act it is remarkable that such inaccurate ideas should still have prevailed concerning the controlling power of parliament over the colonies in england it was thought to manifest a very forbearing spirit that this instance of disobedience was punished with no positive penalties and that the ministers contented themselves with a law prohibiting the legislature of the province from passing any act until it should comply in every respect with the requisitions of parliament the persevering temper of massachusetts not having found its way to new york this measure produced the desired effect two companies of artillery driven into the port of boston by stress of weather applied to the governor for supplies he laid the application before his council who advised that in pursuance of the act of parliament the supplies required should be furnished they were furnished and the money to procure them was drawn from the treasury by the authority of the executive seventeen sixty seven on the meeting of the legislature the house of representatives expressed in pointed terms their disapprobation of the conduct of the governor particular umbrage was given by the expression in pursuance of an act of parliament 
after the repeal of the stamp act they were surprised to find that this act equally odious and unconstitutional should remain in force they lamented the entry of this reason for the advice of counsel the more as it was an unwarrantable and unconstitutional step which totally disabled them from testifying the same cheerfulness they had always shown in granting to his majesty of their free accord such aids as his service has from time to time required copies of these messages were transmitted by governor bernard to the minister accompanied by letters not calculated to diminish the unpleasantness of the communication the idea of raising revenue in america was so highly favored in england especially by the landed interest that not even the influence of administration could have obtained a repeal of the stamp act on the naked principle of right few were hardy enough to question the supremacy of parliament and the act receding from the practical assertion of the power to tax the colonists deeply wounded the pride of the king and of the nation the temper discovered in some of the colonies was ill-calculated to assuage the wound which this measure had inflicted on the haughty spirit of the country and is supposed to have contributed to the revival of a system which had been reluctantly abandoned charles townsend chancellor of the exchequer said boastingly in the house of commons that he knew how to draw a revenue from the colonies without giving them offence mr grenville eagerly caught at the declaration and urged this minister to pledge himself to bring forward the measure at which he had hinted during the sickness and absence of lord chatham the cabinet had decided on introducing a bill for imposing certain duties on tea glass paper and painters colours imported into the colonies from great britain and appropriating the money in the first instance to the salaries of the officers of government this bill was brought into parliament and passed almost without opposition the friends of america in england had distinguished them between internal and external taxation and the same distinction had been made in the colonies but the discussions originating in the stamp act while they diffused among the colonists a knowledge of their political rights had inspired also more accurate ideas respecting them these duties were plainly intended not to regulate commerce but to raise revenue which would be as certainly collected from the colonists as the duties on stamps could have been the principle of these two measures was the same many of the americans were too intelligent to be misguided by the distinction between internal and external taxation or by the precedents quoted in support of the right for which parliament contended this measure was considered as establishing a precedent of taxation for the mere purpose of revenue which might afterwards be extended at the discretion of parliament and was spoken of as the entering wedge designed to make way for impositions too heavy to be borne the appropriation of the money did not lessen the odium of the tax the colonists considered the dependence of the officers of government on the colonial legislature for their salaries as the best security for their attending to the interests and cultivating the affections of the provinces yet the opinion that this act was unconstitutional was not adopted so immediately or so generally as in the case of the stamp act many able political essays appeared in the papers demonstrating that it violated the principles of the english constitution and of english liberty before the conviction became general that the same principle which had before been successfully opposed was again approaching in a different form seventeen sixty eight the general court of massachusetts perceiving plainly that the claim to tax america was revived and being determined to oppose it addressed an elaborate letter to dennis de baird agent for the house of representatives detailing at great length and with much weight of argument all the objections to the late acts of parliament letters were also addressed to the earl of shelburne and general conway secretaries of state to the marquis of rockingham lord camden the earl of chatham and the lords commissioners of the treasury these letters while they breathe a spirit of ardent attachment to the british constitution and the, to the british nation 
manifest a perfect conviction that their complaints were just conclusive as the arguments they contained might have appeared to englishmen if urged by themselves in support of their own rights they had not much weight when used to disprove the existence of their authority over others the deep and solemn tone of conviction however conveyed in all these letters ought to have produced a certainty that the principles assumed in them had made a strong impression and would not be lightly abandoned it ought to have been foreseen that with such a people so determined the conflict must be stern and hazardous and it was well worth the estimate whether the object would compensate the means used to obtain it petition to the king the assembly also voted a petition to the king replete with professions of loyalty and attachment but stating in explicit terms their sense of the acts against which they petitioned a proposition was next made for an address to the other colonies on the power claimed by parliament which after considerable debate was carried in the affirmative and a circular letter to the assemblies of the several provinces setting forth the proceedings of the house of representatives was prepared and adopted to rescue their measures from the imputation of systematic opposition to the british government the house without acknowledging the obligation of the mutiny act complied with a requisition of the governor to make a farther provision for one of the king's garrisons within the province the governor soon afterwards prorogued the general court with an angry speech not calculated to diminish the resentments of the house directed against himself resentments occasioned as much by the haughtiness of his manners and a persuasion that he had misrepresented their conduct and opinions to ministers as by the unpopular course his station required him to pursue the circular letter of the house of representatives of massachusetts was well received in the other colonies they approved the measures which had been taken and readily united in them they too petitioned the king against the obnoxious acts of parliament and instructed their several agents to use all proper means to obtain their repeal virginia transmitted a statement of her proceedings to her sister colonies and her house of burgesses in a letter to massachusetts communicating the representation made to parliament say that they do not affect an independency of their parent kingdom the prosperity of which they are bound to the utmost of their abilities to promote but cheerfully acquiesce in the authority of parliament to make laws for the preserving a necessary dependence and for regulating the trade of the colonies yet they cannot conceive and humbly insist it is not essential to support a proper relation between the mother country and colonies transplanted from her that she should have a right to raise money from them without their consent and presume they do not aspire to more than the right of british subjects when they assert that no power on earth has a right to impose taxes on the people or take the smallest portion of their property without their consent given by their representatives in parliament on the first intimation of the measures taken by massachusetts the earl of hillsborough who had been appointed to the newly created office of secretary of state for the department of the colonies addressed a circular to the several governors to be laid before the respective assemblies in which he treated the circular letter of massachusetts as being of the most dangerous tendency calculated to inflame the minds of his majesty's good subjects in the colonies to promote an unwarrantable combination to excite an open opposition to the authority of parliament and to subvert the true principles of the constitution his first object was to prevail on the several assemblies openly to censure the conduct of massachusetts his next to prevent their approving the proceedings of that colony the letter far from producing the desired effect rather served to strengthen the determination of the colonies to unite in their endeavors to obtain a repeal of laws universally detested on manifesting this disposition the assemblies were generally dissolved 
probably in pursuance of instructions from the crown when the general court of massachusetts was again convened governor bernard laid before the house of representatives an extract of a letter from the earl of hillsborough in which after animadverting in harsh terms on the circular letter to the colonies he declared it to be the king's pleasure that the governor should require the house of representatives in his majesty's name to rescind the resolution on which the circular letter was founded and to declare their disapprobation of and dissent from that rash and hasty proceeding this message excited considerable agitation but the house without coming to any resolution on it requested the governor to lay before them the whole letter of the earl of hillsborough and also copies of such letters as had been written by his excellency to that nobleman on the subject to which the message referred the copies were haughtily refused but the residue of the letter from the earl of hillsborough was laid before them that minister said if notwithstanding the apprehensions which may justly be entertained of the ill consequence of a continuance of this factious spirit which seems to have influenced the resolutions of the assembly at the conclusion of the last session the new assembly should refuse to comply with his majesty's reasonable expectation it is the king's pleasure that you immediately dissolve them this subject being taken into consideration a letter to the earl was reported and agreed to by a majority of ninety-three to thirteen in which they defended their circular letter in strong and manly but respectful terms and concluded with saying the house humbly rely on the royal clemency that to petition his majesty will not be deemed by him to be inconsistent with the respect to the british constitution as settled at the revolution by william the third and that to acquaint their fellow-subjects involved in the same distress of their having so done in full hopes of success even if they had invited the union of all america in one joint supplication would not be discountenanced by their gracious sovereign as a measure of an inflammatory nature that when your lordship shall in justice lay a true state of these matters before his majesty he will no longer consider them as tending to create unwarrantable combinations or excite an unjustifiable opposition to the constitutional authority of parliament that he will then truly discern who are of that desperate faction which is continually disturbing the public tranquillity and that while his arm is extended for the protection of his distressed and injured subjects he will frown upon all those who to gratify their own passions have dared to attempt to deceive him legislature of massachusetts dissolved a motion to rescind the resolution on which their circular letter was founded passed in the negative by a majority of ninety-two to seventeen and a letter to the governor was prepared stating their motives for refusing to comply with the requisition of the earl of hillsborough immediately after receiving it he prorogued the assembly with an angry speech and the next day dissolved it by proclamation while the opposition was thus conducted by the legislature with temperate firmness and legitimate means the general irritation occasionally displayed itself at boston in acts of violence denoting evidently that the people of that place were prepared for much stronger measures than their representatives had adopted seizure of the sloop liberty the seizure of the sloop liberty belonging to mr hancock by the collector of the customs occasioned the assemblage of a tumultuous mob who beat the officers and their assistants took possession of a boat belonging to the collector burnt it in triumph and patrolled the streets for a considerable time the revenue officers fled for refuge first to the romney man-of-war 
and afterwards to castle william after the lapse of some time the governor moved the council to take into consideration some measure for restoring vigor and firmness to government the council replied that the disorders which happened were occasioned by the violent and unprecedented manner in which the sloop liberty had been seized by the officers of the customs and the inhabitants of boston in a justificatory memorial supported by affidavits insisted that the late tumults were occasioned principally by the haughty conduct of the commissioners and their subordinate officers and by the illegal and offensive conduct of the romney man-of-war the legislature however did not think proper to countenance this act of violence a committee of both houses appointed to inquire into the state of the province made a report which after reprobating the circumstances attending the seizure to which the mob was ascribed declared their abhorrence of a procedure which they pronounced criminal desired the governor to direct a prosecution against all persons concerned in the riot and to issue a proclamation offering a reward to any person who should make discoveries by which the rioters or their abettors should be brought to condign punishment this report however seems to have been intended rather to save appearances than to produce any real effect it was perfectly understood that no person would dare to inform or even to appear as a witness in any prosecution which might be instituted suits were afterwards brought against mr hancock and others owners of the vessel and cargo but they were never prosecuted to a final decision this riot accelerated a measure which tended in no inconsiderable degree to irritate still farther the angry dispositions already prevalent in boston the governor had pressed on administration the necessity of stationing a military force in the province for the protection of the officers employed in collecting the revenue and of the magistrates in preserving the public peace in consequence of these representations orders had already been given to general gage to detach at least one regiment on this service and to select for the command of it an officer on whose prudence resolution and integrity he could rely the transactions respecting the sloop liberty rendered any attempt to produce a countermand of these orders entirely abortive and probably occasioned two regiments instead of one to be detached by general gage it seems to have been supposed that a dissolution of the assembly of massachusetts would dissolve also the opposition to the measures of administration and that the people having no longer constitutional leaders being no longer excited and conducted by their representatives would gradually become quiet and return to what was termed their duty to government but the opinions expressed by the house of representatives were the opinions of the great body of the people and had been adopted with too much ardor to be readily suppressed the most active and energetic part of society had embraced them with enthusiasm and the dissolution of the assembly by creating a necessity for devising other expedients hastened the mode of conducting opposition at least as efficacious and afterwards universally adopted at a town meeting of the inhabitants of boston a committee was deputed for the purpose of praying the governor to convene another general assembly he replied that no other could be convened until his majesty's commands to that effect should be received this answer being reported the meeting resolved that to levy money within the province by any other authority than that of the general court was a violation of the royal charter and of the undoubted natural rights of british subjects that the freeholders and other inhabitants of the town of boston would at the peril of their lives and fortunes take all legal and constitutional measures to defend all and singular the rights liberties privileges and immunities granted in their royal charter 
that as there was an apprehension in the minds of many of an approaching war with france those inhabitants who were not provided with arms should be requested duly to observe the laws of the province which required that every freeholder should furnish himself with a complete stand but the important resolution was that as the governor did not think proper to call a general court for the redress of their grievances the town would then make choice of a suitable number of persons to act for them as a committee in a convention to be held at Venuya hall in boston with such as might be sent to join them from the several towns in the province these votes were communicated by the selectmen in a circular letter to the other towns in the province which were requested to concur and to elect committee men to meet those of boston in convention convention assembles in boston and the measure was generally adopted and a convention met which was regarded with all the respect that could have been paid to a legitimate assembly its moderation the country in general though united on the great constitutional question of taxation was probably not so highly exasperated as the people of boston and the convention acted with unexpected moderation they disclaimed all pretensions to any other character than that of mere individuals assembled by deputation from the towns to consult and advise on such measures as might tend to promote the peace of his majesty's subjects in the province but without power to pass any acts possessing a coercive quality they petitioned the governor to assemble a general court and addressed a letter to the agent of the province in england stating the character in which they met and the motives which brought them together after expressing their opinions with temper and firmness on the subjects of general complaint and recommending patience and order to the people they dissolved themselves and returned to their respective homes two regiments arrived the day before the convention rose the two regiments which had been detached by general gage arrived under convoy in nantasket road the council had rejected an application of the governor to provide quarters for them because the barracks in the castle were sufficient for their accommodation and by act of parliament the british troops were not to be quartered elsewhere until those barracks were full general gage had directed one regiment to be stationed in boston but on hearing a report that the people were in a state of open revolt he gave additional orders which left the whole subject to the discretion of the commanding officer who was induced by some rash threats of opposing the disembarkation of the troops to land both regiments in that place the ships took a station which commanded the whole town and lay with their broadsides towards it ready to fire should any resistance be attempted the troops landed under cover of their cannon and marched into the common with loaded muskets and fixed bayonets a display of military pomp which was believed by the inhabitants to have been intended for the purpose either of intimidation or of irritation the select men as well as the council having refused to provide quarters for the troops the governor ordered the state house to be opened for their reception and they took possession of all the apartments in it except that which was reserved for the council the people were filled with indignation at seeing the chamber of their representatives crowded with regular soldiers their councillors surrounded with foreign troops and their whole city exhibiting the appearance of a garrisoned town with the difference of manners between the soldiers and the inhabitants and the strong prejudices reciprocally felt against each other it is not wonderful that personal broils should frequently occur and that mutual antipathies should be still farther increased while these measures were pursuing in america every session of parliament was opened with a speech from the king stating that a disposition to refuse obedience to the laws and to resist the authority of the supreme legislature of the nation still prevailed among his misguided subjects in some of the colonies in the addresses to the throne both houses uniformly expressed their abhorrence of the rebellious spirit manifested in the colonies and their approbation of the measures taken by his majesty 
for the restoration of order and good government to give a more solemn expression to the sense of parliament on this subject the two houses entered into joint resolutions condemning the measures pursued by the americans and agreed to an address approving the conduct of the crown giving assurances of effectual support to such farther measures as might be found necessary to maintain the civil magistrates in a due execution of the laws within the province of massachusetts bay and beseeching his majesty to direct the governor of that colony to obtain and transmit information of all treasons committed in massachusetts since the year seventeen sixty seven with the names of the persons who had been most active in promoting such offences that prosecutions might be instituted against them within the realm in pursuance of the statute of the thirty-fifth of henry the eighth seventeen sixty nine the impression made by these threatening declarations would seem to have been directed particularly against massachusetts in the hope of deterring the other provinces from involving themselves in her dangers was far from being favourable to the views of the mother country the determination to resist the exercise of the authority claimed by great britain not only remained unshaken but was manifested in a still more decided form not long after these votes of parliament the assembly of virginia was convened by lord botetot a nobleman of conciliating manners who had lately been appointed governor of that province the house took the state of the colony into their immediate consideration resolutions of the house of burgesses of virginia and passed unanimously several resolutions asserting the exclusive right of that assembly to impose taxes on the inhabitants within his majesty's dominion of virginia and their undoubted right to petition for a redress of grievances and to obtain a concurrence of the other colonies in such petitions that all persons charged with the commission of any offence within that colony were entitled to a trial before the tribunals of that country according to the fixed and known course of proceeding therein and that to seize such persons and transport them beyond sea for trial derogated in a high degree from the rights of british subjects as thereby the inestimable privilege of being tried by a jury from the vicinage as well as the liberty of summoning and producing witnesses on such trial will be taken from the party accused an address to his majesty was also agreed on which states in the style of loyalty and real attachment to the crown the deep conviction of the house of burgesses of virginia that the complaints of the colonists were well founded assembly dissolved intelligence of these proceedings having reached the governor he suddenly dissolved the assembly this measure did not produce the desired effect the members convened at a private house and having chosen their speaker moderator proceeded to form a non-importing association which was signed by every person present and afterwards almost universally throughout the province from the commencement of the controversy the opinion seems to have prevailed in all the colonies that the most effectual means of succeeding in the struggle in which they were engaged were those which would interest the merchants and manufacturers of great britain in their favour under the influence of this opinion associations had been proposed in massachusetts as early as may seventeen sixty five for the non-importation of goods from that country the merchants of some of the trading towns in the other colonies especially those of philadelphia refused at that time to concur in a measure which they thought too strong for the existing state of things and it was laid aside but in the beginning of august it was resumed in boston and the merchants of that place entered into an agreement not to import from great britain any articles whatever except a few of the first necessity between the first of january seventeen sixty nine and the first of january seventeen seventy and not to import tea glass paper or painters colours until the duties imposed on those articles should be taken off this agreement was soon afterwards adopted in the town of salem the city of new york and the province of connecticut but was not generally entered into through the colonies until the resolutions and address of the two houses of parliament which have 
already been mentioned seemed to cut off the hope that petitions and memorials alone would effect the object for which they contended the proceedings of the house of burgesses of virginia had been transmitted to the speakers of the several assemblies throughout the continent the measures against the importation of british goods in the opinion of the neighboring colonies the occasion required efficacious measures and an association similar to that which had been formed by their elder sister was entered into by maryland and the carolinas the inhabitants of charleston went so far as to break off all connection with rhode island and georgia which had refused to adopt the non-importation agreement this vigorous measure was not without its influence and those provinces soon afterwards entered into the association in portsmouth in new hampshire where governor wentworth possessed great influence some repugnance to this measure was also discovered but being threatened with a suspension of their intercourse with the other colonies the merchants of that place concurred in the general system all united in giving effect to this agreement the utmost exertions were used to improve the manufactures of the country and the fair sex laying aside the late fashionable ornaments of england exulted with patriotic pride in appearing dressed in the produce of their own looms committees chosen by the people superintended importations and the force of public opinion went far to secure the agreement from violation general court in massachusetts the necessities of government requiring a supply of money the general court of massachusetts was again convened the members of the former house of representatives were generally re-elected and brought with them the temper which had occasioned their dissolution instead of entering on the business for which they were called together they engaged in a controversy with the governor concerning the removal of the ships of war from the harbor and of the troops from the town of boston to which they contended his power as the representative of the crown was adequate the governor ascribing this temper to the influence of the metropolis adjourned the general court to cambridge but this measure served to increase the existing irritation the business recommended to them remained unnoticed their altercations with the governor continued and they entered into several warm resolutions enlarging the catalogue of their grievances in terms of greater exasperation than had appeared in the official acts of any legislature on the continent it is prorogued not long after the passage of these resolutions the house explicitly refused to make the provision required by the mutiny act for the troops stationed in massachusetts upon which the legislature was prorogued until the first of january the committees appointed to examine the cargoes of vessels arriving from great britain continued to execute the trust reposed in them votes of censure were passed on such as refused to concur in the association or violated its principles and the names of the offenders were published as enemies to their country in some cases the goods imported in contravention of it were locked up in warehouses and in some few instances they were re-shipped to great britain not long after the strong resolutions already noticed had been agreed to by parliament while their effect was unfolding itself in every part of the american continent an important revolution took place in the british cabinet the duke of grafton was placed at the head of a new administration he supported with great earnestness a proposition to repeal the duties imposed for the purpose of raising revenue in the colonies but his whole influence was insufficient to carry this measure completely administration resolved on a partial repeal of duties it was deemed indispensable to the maintenance of the legislative supremacy of great britain to retain the duty on some one article and that on tea was reserved while the others were relinquished seldom has a wise nation adopted a more ill-judged measure than this the contest with america was plainly a contest of principle and had been conducted entirely on principle by both parties the amount of taxes proposed to be raised was too inconsiderable to interest the people of either country but the principle was in the opinion of both of the utmost magnitude 
the measure now proposed while it encouraged the colonists to hope that their cause was gaining strength in britain had no tendency to conciliate them circular letter of the earl of hillsborough in pursuance of this resolution of the cabinet a circular letter was written by the earl of hillsborough to the several governors informing them that it was the intention of his majesty's ministers to propose in the next session of parliament taking off the duties on glass paper and painters colours in consideration of such duties having been laid contrary to the true spirit of commerce and assuring them that at no time had they entertained the design to propose to parliament to lay any further taxes on america for the purpose of raising a revenue this measure was soon communicated in letters from private individuals in england to their correspondents in massachusetts the merchants of boston apprehensive that an improper opinion concerning its operation might be formed resolved that the partial repeal of the duties did not remove the difficulties under which their trade laboured and was only calculated to relieve the manufacturers of great britain and that they would still adhere to their non-importation agreement the communication of the earl of hillsborough to the several governors was laid before the respective assemblies as they convened in terms implying an intention to renounce the imposition in future of any taxes in america but this communication seems not to have restored perfect content in any of the colonies the virginia legislature was in session on its arrival and governor botetot laid it before them their dissatisfaction with it was manifested by a petition to the king reasserting the rights previously maintained and by an association signed by the members as individuals renewing their non-importation agreement until the duty on tea should be repealed yet several causes combined to prevent a rigid observance of these associations the sacrifice of interest made by the merchants could be continued only under the influence of powerful motives suspicions were entertained of each other in the same towns and committees to superintend the conduct of importers were charged with gross partiality the different towns too watched each other with considerable jealousy and accusations were reciprocally made of infractions of the association to a great extent letters were published purporting to be from england stating that large orders for goods had been received and the inconvenience resulting from even a partial interruption of commerce and from the want of those manufactures which the inhabitants had been accustomed to use began to be severely and extensively felt in rhode island and albany it was determined to import as usual with the exception of such articles as should be dutiable on the remonstrances of other commercial places especially of boston these resolutions were changed and the hope was entertained that the general system on which the colonies relied would still be maintained new york recedes in part from the non-importation agreement these hopes were blasted by new york that city soon manifested a disposition to import as usual with the exception of those articles only which were subject to a duty at first the resolution thus to limit the operation of the non-importation agreement was made to depend on its being acceded to by boston and philadelphia these towns refused to depart from the association as originally formed and strenuously urged their brethren of new york to persevere with them in the glorious struggle this answer was communicated to the people and their opinion on the question of rescinding or adhering to was taken in from their respective wards this determination excited the most lively chagrin in new england and philadelphia their remonstrances against it were however ineffectual and the example was soon followed throughout the colonies the people of new york alleged in justification of themselves that the towns of new england had not observed their engagements fairly and that the merchants of albany had been in the practice of receiving goods from quebec but no sufficient evidence in support of these assertions was ever produced seventeen seventy about this time a circumstance occurred which produced the most serious agitation the two regiments stationed in boston to support as was said 
the civil authority and preserve the peace of the town were viewed by the inhabitants with very prejudiced eyes march ride in boston frequent quarrels arose between them and at length an affray took place in the night near the gates of the barracks which brought out captain preston the officer of the day with a part of the main guard between whom and the townsmen blows ensued on which some of the soldiers fired and four of the people were killed the alarm bells were immediately rung the drums beat to arms and an immense multitude assembled inflamed to madness by the view of the dead bodies they were with difficulty restrained from rushing on the twenty ninth regiment which was then drawn up under arms in king street the exertions of the lieutenant governor who promised that the law should be enforced on the perpetrators of the act and the efforts of several respectable and popular individuals prevented their proceeding to extremities and prevailed on them after the regiment had been marched to the barracks to disperse without farther mischief captain preston and the soldiers who had fired were committed to prison for trial on the next day upwards of four thousand citizens of boston assembled at Vanuya hall and in a message to the lieutenant-governor stated it to be the unanimous opinion of the meeting that the inhabitants and soldiers can no longer live together in safety that nothing can rationally be expected to restore the peace of the town and prevent farther blood and carnage but the immediate removal of the troops and they therefore most fervently prayed his honour that his power and influence might be exerted for their instant removal the lieutenant-governor expressed his extreme sorrow at the melancholy event which had occurred and declared that he had taken measures to have the affair inquired into and justice done that the military were not under his command but received their orders from the general at new york which orders it was not in his power to countermand that on the application of the council for the removal of the troops colonel dalrymple their commanding officer had engaged that the twenty ninth regiment which had been concerned in the affair should be marched to the castle and there placed in barracks until farther orders should be received from the general and that the main guard should be removed and the fourteenth regiment laid under such restraints that all occasions of future disturbance should be prevented this answer was voted to be unsatisfactory and a committee was deputed to wait on the lieutenant-governor and inform him that nothing could content them but an immediate and total removal of the troops this vote was laid before the council by mr hutchinson who had succeeded mr bernard in the government of the province the council declared themselves unanimously of opinion that it was absolutely necessary for his majesty's service the good order of the town and the peace of the province that the troops should be immediately removed out of the town of boston this opinion and advice being communicated to colonel dalrymple he gave his honour that measure should be immediately taken for the removal of both regiments satisfied with this assurance the meeting secured the tranquillity of the town by appointing a strong military watch and immediately dissolved itself this transaction was very differently related by the different parties mr gordon whose history was written when the resentments of the moment had subsided and who has collected the facts of the case carefully states it in such a manner as nearly if not entirely to exculpate the soldiers it appears that an attack upon them had been preconcerted and that after being long insulted with the grossest language they were repeatedly assaulted by the mob with balls of ice and snow and with sticks before they were induced to fire trial of captain preston and the soldiers this representation is strongly supported by the circumstances that captain preston after a long and public trial was acquitted by a boston jury and that six of the eight soldiers who were prosecuted were acquitted and the remaining two found guilty of manslaughter only mr quincy and mr john adams two eminent lawyers and distinguished leaders of the patriotic party defended the accused without sustaining any diminution of popularity yet this event was very differently understood through the colonies it was generally believed to be a massacre equally barbarous and unprovoked and it increased the detestation in which the soldiers were universally held End of chapter thirteen